With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. As you know, I am Curtis Wilson, and along with my partner, Brian Ziegler. What's up? How you doing, buddy? Oh, dude. Uh, living the life, man. Having a cold one. There you go. There you, you know, go. Enjoying some, uh, some a little downtime with the kids. We were playing Sonic and Mario at the Winter Olympic Games today. Yeah. Dude, we, we don't have the Switch, <laughs> but we have a Wii. And dude, those games are so fun with kids about, you know, Wyatt and Jack's age and uh, our kids' age. And just had a blast doing that. Um, over the weekend, man, did a fancy takeout. We we did takeout from Toast off 3 oh, Chop, dude. You, you went upscale and on me. <laughs> we went up, well, you know what? Me and the wife were sitting. She's like, I need a dinner with our kids. And I'm like, okay, well, you'll go Terrence West, Toast, uh, you know, two or three places that, you know, nicer establishments. And uh, she's like, let's do Toast. Never did there. So here's what we got. Just let me paint the picture. I know you're a food rundown over there. All right. We got the shrimp and crab nachos. Yeah, I'm already sold. I'm already sold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you want, yeah. you want better? How about some... We also uh, baby back ribs with Gouda mac and cheese. Man, I'm going to check this place out. And, and, <laughs> and, oh, definitely do it. And then just to because it's been a long week for Mama and Daddy, uh, jalapeno margaritas. There you to go. go. Delicious. So uh, yeah, that was pretty awesome. And some good weather played out with the kids. Uh, but but Brian, you you sent me some pics. Uh, I guess being cooped up in the house for close to 30 days, uh, you just had to get out, huh? Took a little pilgrimage with the family. Um, took a day off from work. You know, I'm, I'm working from home, but I took a day off from actually having to be plugged into my computer for a day. So we're like, you know, we've we've driven around Mechanicsville, went to the couple of battlefields and just kind of got out of the house a little bit a few times. We were like, let's change it up. Let's, you know, take a three-hour trip to Blacksburg. Walk around, uh, walk around Lane, walk around uh, the drill field, walk around the duck pond, you know, get some fresh air, but in a, uh, in, in the, uh, the Mecca as it is. Um, so, you know, we, we took the trip. That was my son's first time in, in Blacksburg. He had a, he had a ball. So it was a good time. Awesome, man. Now, I know you told me uh, that the one weird thing was, especially, you know, me and you being undergrads, you know, going to tech and, you know, seeing our friends. The drill field, you every time you walk by, you know, campus, there's always a ton of people out there. You told me, like, the eariest thing was was when you went by there and it was just... Yeah, the, going to the drill field and seeing, like, 30 people and, like, 10 of those were, you know, like, the gardening crew working on the on mulching and mowing and stuff like that. I was like, oh, this is a little, little odd. A little odd. Not used to this. Like... The, the the most people there were actually I think seniors from the twenty twenty class coming back to take uh, senior portraits around campus. So. Oh, nice. Uh, where'd you Hokey House? Got a Yes, sir. Nice. Got a burger. A one. A one burger. Can't go wrong. 
cannot go wrong with that, man. Well, it sounds like we both ate very well this weekend, and you definitely had an adventure. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's crazy things going on, but we're still we're still living our lives. So. Still living our lives. Like and, I said, uh, we, we kept social distance from everybody, but we just felt like we needed to change the scenery for a little bit. So, huh? Blacksburg it was. Hey, hey, dude, with one kid, you can yep. do that. I wouldn't even dare attempt that because it would be <laughs> like a bomb going off at some point driving down 81 on the way back or there. So good for you, dude. Good for you. All right. So, man, we have had a lot of things kind of been going down in the uh, Hokie Nation this week. Um, man, I'm going to start off straight out with you, Brian. Justice Reed committing. Yes, sir. The big boy. Um, <laughs> The big boy. Rumored for a while, he was the top transfer player in the country um, by most defensive end. He played at uh, Youngstown State last year. He got 12 and a half sacks to the SCS level. Um, guy had a crazy journey. I know just kind of reading up on him, we, we knew who he was, but getting more details, the two major injuries early in his career when he was down at Florida. Yeah. Yeah, started um, at Florida. I mean, that, that, that tells you right there the level of caliber player that he is. That you, know, you, you don't get recruited to play defense at Florida for nothing. Exactly. And he got that rare seventh year of eligibility, and it'll be for the Hokies. Um, you know, tells a lot about what potentially tap tier Justin Hammer looking for um, in defensive end 6'3, 270. Um, this is matching Brian, the trend, dude. This is matching the trend we've seen with longer and bigger defensive ends, but also guys that have speed can get off the edge. So it looks like we're moving away for some of those like quick gap hitters and more of these big, long guys that can get around the edge, but also are, are long and can um, get separation for the running game as well. So, yeah, I, I had a chance to look a little bit of, uh, of his tape um, from Youngstown. So, um, you know, what you're seeing, as I've already said already, I mean, we're talking about a long and fast player. Um, but he's a seasoned player. He's got multiple pass rush moves. He can speed rush you. He can rip. He can swim. He's got a spin. He'll he'll bull rush you. He's got the, enough size and strength to bull rush you. So, I mean, I, I like what I'm seeing from him. He uses his hands well, knocks down linemen's hands in pass, pass rush. Um, he does a great job of bringing his hands and creating separation from linemen when he's trying to shed the block in the running game. Um, the thing I like to see is he looks like he's a smart player too, which is important, I think. So, you know, when, when there's a tackle pulling, you know, he, he read that quickly, got in the hip pocket, took the path to the running back. Um, as you stated, I mean, he had two major injuries early in his career. So, I mean, there's always going to be a potential health question mark just because of that, that history. But, I mean, I like what I see because, like I said, he trusts his eyes in, with his reads, and he does a really good job of making plays in the in the pass game. But also, he's, he's good against the rush as well. He doesn't, doesn't get eat up by blocks. So, that's important. Absolutely. Um, do you feel that – do you feel he's weak side or strong side just looking at the tape? And is it going to be – is it going to be him with Belmar, him with Garbutt? How do you feel if when we roll out Liberty, you know – five months from now, who's, who is, is he opposite of someone or is he rotating in? I think he's going to be opposite garbage. I think Belmar is going to be the odd man out in this case, in terms of the, the first two out there. Now I think you're still going to get heavy doses of, of Belmar, but I think Reed is really going to kind of take over that role and make it his own. And Belmar is probably going to come in there either as in a spell role or just to kind of switch up the looks. Um, okay, and, and like I said, we've got some other guys coming in too that are that are younger that might might be pushing for some of this time as well. But in terms of the the first three guys out there, I think you're going to see Reed and Garbett, and then Belmar is going to be the the guy that's working in. Nice. All right. Well, you know, as as nice as that was, a few days before that, we got one on the outside, then we got one on the inside. Big Pius Martin. Out of Jacksonville, Arkansas, D tackle, 6'3", 318 pounds, number three ranked recruit in that state, number 27 defensive tackle in the country at three-star. Um, and potentially, I think this kid's going to make it to a four-star before he signs that line because of what he did at the 247 Combine where he got one of the all-Combine team honors. 
Um, Brian, you looked at some of his tape. What is in, what's, what, what, what's the impressive part, and what can we look to probably clean up a little bit? Uh, the big thing is he's got a quick first step for a, a guy his size. Um, he's, he, he gets in the hole, shoots the gap with quickness. Um, he's going to give a lot of people a lot of problems just because of that combination of quickness and size. Um, that's going to be a big, big problem for, for centers um, and guards to handle. So I like that about him. Um, he doesn't give a lot of ground when he's double teamed from what I can see on tape. Um, he does have a couple areas where I'd like to see him improve um, with his senior year, uh, particularly playing lower. Um, it's, you know, it's common for a guy that big with that size and frame, you know, bending at the hips and staying low. So he'll need to work on that hip flexibility and just stay keeping a lower center of gravity. And I'd like to see him maybe use his arms and hands better to create separation in the running game. Uh, but he does a really good job of just getting in the gap and creating havoc and redirecting the running back and making the quarterback have to make a decision because he can't step up. Nice. And Brian, it's, it's telling us more and more um, as we look at how we're recruiting defensive tackle. I mean, we've said this in some episodes before we're trying to get bigger. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where when I hear you say some of that stuff and how we're recruiting linebackers and, you know, you take a look at like Will Johnson, who's probably going to play either whip or outside linebacker. He's a smaller guy. He's probably going to play somewhere around 215, 220, but it's almost like, well, the goal isn't like, the gaps anymore the goal is we're going to clog and it's almost going to be where it used to be spill to lanes it's going to be no we want to spill outside yep. not spill into specific lanes anymore we're spilling outside because we're going to be so big up front um and that's the goal um so it's it's great to see man um let's move on uh dude i, I sent you the article i know you've read it i mean we're, we're on the verge of potential free agency in football and basketball at a collegiate level. Um, the one-time transfer waiver, it looks like that on 424, the NCAA is going to have the meeting according to Kendall Rogers at uh, D1Baseball.com with the vote probably happening in May. Um, the rule in general just grants a one-time no-sit-out for every sport. Yep. Um, Brian, give me just a, from a guy who played collegiately, uh, you know, you've had friends that played at levels, guys you've coached. Um, what's your take to just this in general? Just in general, what do you think it is? I mean, I think we saw this coming when we started with the transfer portal and we started with um, a little bit more of a loosening of that uh, in terms of player flexibility. This is this is just taking it a step further with not penalizing a kid for wanting to transfer before they're they, they obtain their degree from whatever their initial institution is, or unless there's a coach or, you know, if they get a waiver, whether a coach leaves or there's a medical situation or whatever it is, you know, this kind of takes those waivers out of play for a lot of these kids, because now, you know, as long as it's within, within grounds, they can go ahead and make their move. Now for some players, it might still be in their interest to still try to go the waiver route if they would apply just because it gives them flexibility in the future to use their one time, <laughs> the one yeah. time, in, you know, down the road if they, if they so desire. But um, I think it, it's good for players um, in terms of institutions. I think in the short term, it's probably beneficial to us because now we don't have to sit and wait um, <laughs> as to whether uh, Raheem Blackshear is going to be eligible for, uh, for the 2020 <laughs> season. Cause y'all know I've hyped this kid up since, I heard that he was coming to play for the Hokies. So that, that will take some of that suspense out of the game. Like we had with Brock last year, waiting and waiting and then getting bad news and then waiting for the appeal and then getting more bad news. So that'll, that'll take a lot of that out of it, especially, you know, last year Brock was a big, a big get and we were excited to get him on the field. I think just like that this year, we're excited to get Graham Blackshear on the field and see what he can do. So not having to jump through those hoops is going to be nice. Um, long-term, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I think as a fan base, we've had positive and negative, uh, responses to how the, uh, transfer portal has, has treated the Hokies. I think year one was rough. Um, I think year two has been better other than the potential miscommunication with what, you know, Fu said after whether, whether the guys that, that were there could come back, but, 
outside of that, yeah. I think year two has went a lot better. So we'll, we'll see what the future holds. But I think in the short term, it's a win for us. And long term, we'll see. I mean, everybody else is, is going to be impacted that. So it's all going to be kind of a trickle down and a trickle up, depending on, you know, where, where these guys are and where they're trying to head to. Uh, see, now, see, I think where we are currently in the pecking order of, you know, NCAA football, I think it's beneficial either way for us because, you know, you think about some of the guys we go after five-star, we miss on the high fours that go to Ohio State, Alabama. Well, they're probably still going to be going there. But now those guys almost have the out to say, wait a second, I don't, I don't like it here. Well, these guys sold me. They they promised the the Mercedes Benz. This is a freaking Pinto. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're nothing like they acted on the road. Oh, man, I hate this. Um, but it's also going also open up doors for guys slightly lower than us. Your two stars who are at a lower school who said, "Man, I'm not getting the looks." Well, you know what? We got the ACC. We have great fan bases. We travel. So it's almost like could we go start pecking those kids. I do think we need to get the recruiting department growing for this simple reason. You've got to have a couple guys kind of, to me, looking at, okay, who are some of these smaller guys who probably if would benefit from coming to a Power 5 school? Who are the Power 5 guys who were sold the Mercedes but given the Pinto? Who's not happy with their situation? Yeah. And I think we're in that spot right now where we're kind of beneficial because we're in that, you know, 20 to 30 range where we're, we're, where we're competing, but we're not getting, you know, 10 five stars every year. So I like the way it shapes up for the Hokies. Um, now talk to me in two or three years. I could be like, <laughs> yeah, these kids just transfer or whatever. I'm with you on, um, I'm with you on one thing there. Um, because I think from a, just a prestige um, level of, of of our school, we're in a really good spot because we're not quite at the uh, the blue blood big dog era, but we've still got enough cloud and prestige Jeez. where once guys are here, they kind of want to stay here. They're not looking to to jump yep. up. Um, so, so I mean, there's there's going to be a couple maybe here or there, but that's going to be few and far between. Um, so we're looking at maybe you guys want to step down a little bit because they're not seeing the playing time because they're behind two or three five-star guys that Bama or Florida or Clemson yeah. has recruited. And then, you know, like you said, you know, guys like uh, Justice Reed that maybe were journeymen or had, had some situations that caused them to play at a lower level looking to step up as they close things out. So yeah. I, I definitely think it can uh, benefit us well in both directions. I'm just hoping that, you know, we don't end up with a situation where guys come to play for us for two years, look pretty good, and all of a sudden jump to a to a big dog. So we'll see how that goes. Well, that's true, but you also got to think with the big dogs, you know, they're always getting the five star. So if you, you know, you're at Tech and you're doing well, well I want to go to Ohio State. Well, do, do realize, you know, that, that's 11 five stars coming in, four at your position. Yeah. And – we're not trying to say much, but sometimes if those certain guys there, they get a little differentiated with treatment. Some don't, some do. It's um, going to be a special case with that. I don't think there's going to be, yeah. be widespread just because there's just from a blue blood perspective, I don't think there's going to be a lot of offers for that level no. of talent that late in the cycle. Cause they're going to want to see how their recruiting class shakes out before they start looking at some of these transfers. Whereas we're, kind of building those transfers into our recruiting cycle a little bit more because it helps us fill out our roster a little bit better. Absolutely. All right, uh, Brian. Mike Mazzolik wrote an article in the Roanoke <laughs> Times concerning uh, Ryan Willis and uh, the Duke game, and uh, you texted me and said uh, you, you have something to say. I have some feelings about this. Um, feelings. Feelings. <laughs> oh, feelings. So, hey, hey, stop. Do we need to go ahead and put the E on this episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this whole thing with I was injured, but I was battling through it, and I was trying to make myself, you know, there for the team, but I probably ended up hurting the team is pretty much bullshit because <laughs> at that point, he knew if he didn't play in that game, he was getting Wally pipped, and he didn't want to get Wally pipped. So that's what happened. That's the long and short of it. 
Anything else is kind of bullshit. All due respect to Willis in this case, but that's that's a that's an explanation after the fact. That wasn't and to me that wasn't the situation. We were drowning a little bit before Duke. We were definitely drowning after Duke, and he was worried about getting Wally pipped, and he did. He did. Unfortunately for us, freaking Duke happened, <laughs> and it makes me angry as a fan when I read that article because remember that was that was a bye week. Yeah. Going in that game, if freaking we walk out of Furman and we know he's hurt significantly, Hendon gets to start there. Hendon gets not one week of practice, he gets two full weeks of practice. Two. And where it really irritates me as a fan is you make the point of being Wally Pip. That is what it is. But you don't sacrifice your team. Like he did. Well, yeah, that's why. That's why it hurt. It hurt the the article hurt me more. It came off older than than now. Like I was trying to fight through this for the team. Like no, you were trying to fight through this so you didn't get Wally Pip. <laughs> you were trying to keep your job, and it's you. It wasn't like this was a minor ailment. It, you had a shoulder injury and you had a significant foot injury. Knowing that part of our offense are off some of these zone reads where you got to shoot together and you got to take off. He didn't look right in that game. So I know people feel like maybe you and a few people texted me, but it just irritates me because if you take the projection of our season, we're two and one going into that game. You give him in those two weeks, he showed in the Miami game, he was ready. He goes to probably the Duke game, and I know we got our asses smacked that night. I know we did. But I think that game's completely different because you saw the next week with the confidence those guys play with Hooker. We probably win that game, and the season's a different story. The Virginia game doesn't matter because we win the Coastal regardless what happens there. So it, it irritates me from a hindsight fan perspective because, um, you know, we, we talk about that was a 9 or 10 win team. Yeah, that was a 9 or 10 win team without Ron Willis. We don't lose BC. We don't lose Duke. And maybe as Hendon's development, we don't lose UVA. Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to end my rant there and end with something happy. <laughs> hey. This guy got a reply from the coach. What, what, what did Foo so, throw at you, man? What did Foo throw at you? So, first of all, I think one of Foo's, like, maybe his jokey pieces is if he sees a famous artist, he will, like, you saw the Prince Drake thing, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, there's a picture of Angus Young. And anyone that knows hard rock music, you know Angus Young. Well, what does he tweet out? Wait a minute, that's Axl Rose, right? <laughs> With like a with the, with a goofy emoji on the end, so I just hit up and I said, "Hey, coach, appetite for destruction or use your illusion." And he pops back like two minutes later, "Appetite for destruction." But I always try to whistle patience. Boom. And <laughs> <laughs> and patience is a great song. The whistling it is tough. I do wonder if Axl Rose did that with one take, but it was just like it again. It's a different side of our coach. He he's popping answering people. And it was just kind of cool to see that that uh, I got the response. So, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. And Appetite is, as you know from being a ginormous Guns N' Roses fan, I'm a huge one as well. That is that that is the best album cover to cover there. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, what I love about that album is that it's the top-selling debut album of all time. And for the first eight months, no one paid it any attention. <laughs> No one paid it any attention, but then they went on tour with Aerosmith, and all of a sudden, the album sales started climbing. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, this, this, I need to buy that album. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, favorite cut from the album? Oh man, um, Mr. Brownstone. Yeah. You, you, we've been in drunken conversations, and you always say that I'm always Paradise City. I don't know why, probably because of the road I lived on as a as a kid, and you know, just it just <laughs> stuck with me. All right, so folks, we've been kind of uh, hyping it up this week. Um, we are having a two part series of the Hokey Mount Rushmore. This week, we are starting with the offense. We did ourselves a favor and made it a little bit easier by starting with the offense. Yes. If not, we would still be in <laughs> delegation chambers probably discussing defense. But um, uh, we will, I will say this. The four guys you hear today 
from me and Brian, these are unanimous. Yes. Um, I think we had a slight different order, but these are the four guys. But we want to give some love to the honorable mentions. Um, one of my honorable mentions did not make the list. Um, <laughs> Jim Pine, great offensive lineman, All-American, NFL. Um, and, you know, I get it. I get it. But, uh, you know, I want to at least throw that out there. Jim was right there on the cusp for me. He did not make the top four. Now, Brian, with you, uh, I believe both of yours are here, right? Yeah. Both of yours. Oh, yeah. All right. So both of mine, are, roll, both of mine made honorable mention. All the, the two that I had honorable mention are both in the honorable mention category for us. So we had we, we decided we wanted to have two honorable mentions, and my two were, were, were five and six, and Curtis's, I think, were – Five and seven or six and seven. So, yeah, yeah something like that. Exactly. Yeah, so. so, let's start it. The first honorable mention, uh, man, 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 that, man that shares my last name, <laughs> Mr. David Wilson. Danville. Uh, Danville, Virginia, George Washington High School. Um, our rivals. Our rivals. <laughs> exactly. Uh, guys you played against. Uh, you didn't play against David, but you played against some good guys there. Kenny Lewis. Um, <laughs> another Hokey. Kenny Lewis. Another Hokey. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the one thing I always kind of what stuck out to me with David and one of our best friends, um, Coach Robbie Compton. Um, shout out Hambone. Hambone, shout out. Hambone got to see David up close and personal as he was coaching the defensive line at Halifax. And man, he he talked about always how fast he was, and and don't get me wrong, David was fast. I think it was like a four four one. Um, and if you if you remember how David was built, David wasn't some skinny guy. David was what right five eleven and a half, like two ten, and it was muscle to run as fast as he could. But dude, what always got me and we've discussed this before and I always goes that Clemson ACC championship game in one of those runs where he went to the right, kind of went back and a guy caught him and dude, he's on one leg continuing to move forward and that balance. Yes, man. Oh my God. It was just like, he should have lost 15 yards. He gained like eight because he kept his balance. And then when he finally got a second foot down, he took off towards the corner. I, I, I should have went to VT Freaks thing and just watched that again, <laughs> but uh, you know I, I can still ingrain in my mind that run. Um, what about what? What do you think about David? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it—the balance. I mean, there were several runs throughout his career where, like, a guy had him by his shoulder pads, maybe a foot off the ground, but he's still got leg drive and he's dragging this guy. I'm like, how? How are you still moving forward with the guy? literally pulling your shoulder pads to the ground. Uh, it was just, it was amazing. And then all the, all the clutch uh, kick returns that he had, man. I mean, the, the guy just Georgia had Tech. great carrier vision on those kickoffs, man. I mean, Gosh. probably as good as we've ever had um, doing that since I can remember. And just being a likable guy. I mean, doing you know, the oh, backflips yeah. and, just you know, looking like always got a smile on his face. Every everything he's doing, I mean, you never saw the guy without a smile. So I think, I mean, career numbers aside, I mean, we're talking career numbers of you know two thousand six hundred sixty-two yards rushing, three sixty-three receiving, and twenty-three touchdowns. But I mean, just what he did, kind of carrying that team, especially in the uh, the twenty eleven season, but also with two NFL talents and still being able to break out in, in 2009 and 2010 as well. So, Absolutely. yeah. And I mean, in 2011, he won ACC player of the year was first team ACC. Um, you mentioned the career rushing. He holds the Virginia tech, you know, single season rushing that year with 1,709. Um, and the kickoff returns, you mentioned 1,324 yards, which is crazy. But 2010, when he was the primary backup in 2010, one of the primary backups, 26 and a half yards per kick return. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, that's literally insane. That's like saying 
hey, even in today's age to where, oh, just let it go in the end zone. You know, don't worry about it. He'll let it go. Uh, you better be careful kicking it to the end zone because he can bring it out. Um, and then he went on, you know, first round pick of the Giants. Unfortunately, that neck injury, you know, stopped his career. But you know what? Even through that, he never quit smiling. He ne- never quit being a happy guy. Uh, I got a chance. Um, I think it was 14. Yeah, 14 was the year. Like, he played 12 and 13, and the neck injury happened in 14. But he was up at Tech, um, right there in the Hokie Village, next to Lane Stadium, out there talking to people. Had a chance and just just so happy, just so engaging. Such a great man. Now, Brian, your guy. We've hyped him up uh, in our last episodes. I'm going to give him a lot more hype this week. So, honorable mention number two. Lee Suggs, one half of the Untouchables. Uh, I'm going to call him uh, Touchdown Machine. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> Lee Suggs. Hold on, hold on, Brian. While you say that, his 2,000 year, the guy scored 27 touchdowns. Yeah. That means he's averaging two touchdowns a game. <laughs> so l- let's, take you back to the, let's take you back to the beginning. So William Fleming High School. Sophomore year, he was a defensive end and backup running back. Starter goes down, first carry, 70-yard touchdown. So there was birth <laughs> the, Lee, the Lee Suggs myth. Um, I mentioned last episode he uh, trucked my boy Jesse Rogers on his way to the end zone. He did. <laughs> when, when, uh, when Halifax played Fleming. Um, you know, people were uh, at the 1998 uh, VHSCA All-Star game. People were mentioning his name right next to Ronald Curry and Michael Vick. So th- this this was not a not somebody that to be uh, fooled around with even in high school. Um, you know, saw some spot time, garbage time in uh, in the run in nineteen ninety nine, but juggernaut in two thousand. He just mentioned twenty seven touchdowns, twelve hundred yards rushing. Gosh. Missed pretty much the whole two thousand one season. Um, you know, played in the one game, got injured, um, but then right back at it especially with uh with kj in there uh the untouchables year yeah. 2002 Thir- uh 1325 yards and another 22 touchdowns while splitting carries with arguably one of the best running backs in the school history so <laughs> lee was a beast man and then he gets drafted in the fourth round with the browns he plays uh like lee played six or seven years um pretty successful um Lee was Lee was awesome, man. And, you know, like you mentioned last time, Lee ran with so much power, but he had the sneaky speed. Yeah. You would just think, Lee's just going to hit me. And then he, like, turned on the Jets, and it's like, oh, God, I, I was prepared to get hit, and now he's up the field. He had a um, high gear that you didn't see when he was no. running between the tackles. Once he got no. past the linebacker level, all of a sudden, oh, oh, he's got that gear? Okay, well. See you later. <laughs> Touchdown. Good night. And you're, you're, I'll say this. You're lucky I missed Lee because he was 0-2. My first game was 0-3. But still remember Lee running on the TV, man. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, folks, we're here. We're, we are at the four. We are at the Rushmore. Rushmore. Of the Pokey offense. And, um, Brian, I see here you've wrote down you're giving me the honor. You have the honor, so, sir. Well, the honor, and I, I don't think anyone will question this. Um, the first man that would be on this, uh, it would be Michael Vick. I, I, I don't think there's a question. There's no dispute there. <laughs> All right. Michael Vick, and I always do this. I just I feel like for, for people that might be younger listening to this, Michael Vick, Newport News, Virginia, Warwick High School. This is the guy who put Virginia Tech in the upper echelon of college football. There is no doubt about it. 95, we had the Sugar Bowl. There was an ascension. We were considered a top 25 team. What Michael Vick did in 1999 put us at a level um, that I think we as fans strive to get back to. He was 22 and one as a starter, Brian. I'm going to go my epitaph now. Here we go. 22 and one. He lost to probably one of the greatest college football teams of all time in Florida State. That's his only loss ever, ever. And in my heart, in my heart, in my mind, in my soul, if he's playing in that 2000 Miami game in which we went to war with them, yep. 
we win that game, we go play Oklahoma for the national title. That is the way I feel Agreed. about that. Um, Agreed. And also, he changed the game of college football because for anybody, for the first time you saw Michael Vick, and it, whether it be the flick, and I mean that little just, and it would just zart out. Or when he started running, man, when he started running, you got, it, it wasn't you sat back and relaxed, you got right on the edge of your seats. And I was watching the third quarter of the national championship game on ACC Network the other night. And Gary Danielson, who, who a lot of people pick on because, you know, Gary's older now. He makes some, some goofy statements, but he made a perfect summation of what Michael Vick is. Michael Vick is the holy grail of QBs for this next century. And I, and I kind of sat there and I thought about that as I heard it, and he's right. If you take a look, I want you to take a look at the four guys who were in the finals of the NFL this year. Okay. Think about that. Jimmy Garoppolo. You ever seen Jimmy's throw, dude? Yeah. It's a little snap. It's a snap. Jimmy's athletic, too. Mahomes with the big gun, but an athlete. Lamar. Um, uh, Lamar wasn't there this year, excuse me, but Lamar is one of them. Tannehill, who's an athletic guy. Th- this, is, this, this is what happened. He literally changed the position. Um, and I'm going to get to his accolades after I throw it over to you, but um, as VT fans, we know how good he was. And when you in, – in that game in Morgantown, man, I, I still can remember it. I can still visualize it. But that team was down. It was it, – it, it, it was over. Yeah. Probably everybody in the country felt like, cute story, but it's over. And what he did there and that run down the sideline is he's going and those defenders, like, we've got leverage on him. And, dude, when he turned it and the Jets went on, and he went another 25 yards upfield to get in range for Shane Graham's field goal. Um, it's lore. Yeah. That's lore. Absolutely. That's and then watching the third quarter the other night, dude, it's speechless. Because, yes, Kendricks had the runs, but when he ran those options, that one option touchdown, dude, those guys weren't worried about Andre Kendricks. And Andre Kendricks is a good player and is right as a VT player. Dude, you could see it. They were coming off, and everybody's like, what's Vic going to do? Pitch touchdown, and then they are like, "Oh, we got to remember the other guys here." Cut in, fifteen yards up the field in a flick. Um, sorry, Brian. Well, you got to you got to think about one one of the best teams ever to put took it as their role to shut down Michael Vick, and they couldn't do it. Yep, they couldn't. <laughs> that, that, that that that's what it was. I mean, they they went they went into that game saying we have to shut down Michael Vick, and they still could not do it. Now they won the game, but they didn't stop Mike. Nope. Uh, and I mean, and we talk about the uh, the miracle of Morgantown. I think of that run, and I think of the BC run because the BC run epitomizes yep. everything that Michael Vick could do as an athlete, and everything kind of you know it, it encapsulated his abilities and kind of how he played the game. You know, you had the drop back, you had the escapability in the backfield there. You had the get to the edge, and then all of a sudden you had the acceleration where they think they still got him, but they don't. Then the, there's the broken tackle, and then he cuts back to the middle of the field, and then one guy left. All right, I'm going to put on the spin cycle and make this a little flashy. Absolutely. Touchdown. And then some of those passes over the top to Andre Davis, and, and we saw it early, and I think the one that epitomizes him most, and this is his pro game, that pass to Deshaun Jackson against the Skins for like he literally threw that ball seventy six yards on the fly. Yeah, and it was a, it wasn't he got into it. If you remember that, it was like a little step flick. He he had settled in at the five yard line and then just took a big step and flung it. <laughs> it was crazy, and it's just like yeah, I remember him doing that to Andre Davis, like where Andre gets behind the defense. It's like oh, Mike's going to put that on the money without a without a question. Um, just a good, a good arm quarterback would have had to like crow hop once or twice to get the ball that far. <laughs> Not Mike, man, freaking nature. Um, just to run down some of his the accolades. Um, third in the Heisman votes, he should have won if the Dagum committee wasn't so staunch as they were conservative. Yeah, it took eight years later for a freshman to finally win. Mike deserved that trophy. They, Ron Dane should literally drive to Newport News, leave it at Mike's, <laughs> leave it at Mike's door, and say it's yours, dude. Because for real, it should have been. Um, he was the biggest player in '99, along with the Rookie of the Year. 
another insane stat, Brian, and I want you to think about how college football was 21 years ago. He was he led the he led the nation in passing efficiency. That's still third all time. That's and you think good. about 20 years ago, you could press, you could hit quarterbacks. He's still third all time. 21 years later, when the game has significantly changed to more air raid concepts, where it's guys are getting crazy stats. Yeah, I mean. I know they're throwing more, but they're also throwing more high percentage passes in with a lot exactly. more wide open lanes. Exactly. Um, uh, Archie Griffin Award that year, which is the NCAA MVP, um, first pick in the draft. Numbers, again, they weren't mind blowing. 3,200 yards passing, 21 touchdowns, 1,200 yards rushing, 17 touchdowns. The numbers aren't spectacular, but as Hokey fans like us that have been fans for years, we were running 70% of the time with yeah. the league. Or Kendricks, or some of those other uh, was Stith was on those teams too. Well, right? I mean, look at look at two thousand we just mentioned earlier. I mean, twenty seven touchdowns. Had 27 touchdowns. <laughs> um, but how he opened everything up is why that year number seven offense in the country. Um, again, a peak we 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 desperately if we ever got back to with you know some of the defensive talents, it would have been over. So uh, number one of one, slap it on the wall. Boom. Mike Vick. Hi, right, Brian. Well, I'm, I'm going with, uh, with with what I know here for, for our second uh, Mount Rushmore recipient here. And it's going to be Jake Grove. Oh, yeah. Jake Grove, center. Jefferson Forest High School product. Grew up on a cattle farm outside of Lynchburg in Bedford County. Um, we were talk. We talk about the lunch pail a lot with the defense, but if there's an offensive player that epitomized lunch pail, it was this guy. Absolutely. Two offers coming out of high school: Virginia Tech, VMI. This was an undersized player coming out of high school, and went on to be the one of the best centers that we've ever had. Remington Trophy winner in 2003, first team All Big East, unanimous All American, um, five years in a row, Super Iron Hokey. This is a guy that, again, came in undersized and then broke the center record for power clean in year one. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is the type of baller that I'm talking about. I mean, and another thing when you talk about centers standing out to players and and, and to fans, usually it's for the wrong reasons. Usually it's because they missed a line check or they missed a block or something like that. But Bad snaps. <laughs> Jake Grove is a center that stood out for good reasons. He was great at calling protections. He was great at adjusting for blitzes. And he was a guy that was nicknamed Dirty and earned that title from time to time because he was willing to take you to the ground. <laughs> and th- th- you got to like somebody that has that dog in him and is willing to, to do what he needs to do to win do what he needs to do for his team and do what he needs to do for himself. Um, he was drafted second round by the Oakland Raiders in 2004 and the Hokies retired his number in 2006. So this is an all time guy here. And like I said, from a lunch pail perspective, this is as good as it gets on the offensive side of the ball, in my opinion. And I'm agreed with you. And you said so much about it. And again, there's not a lot of stats for centers, but Jake anchored those lines. Um, in those years at Virginia Tech, you know, 2002, 2003, especially, especially 2003, to the Virginia Tech Hall of Fame draft. He played six years, got banged up and didn't play as long. Um, but it, it, you make the point. He, he is one of those offensive guys who had the lunch bell mentality. He was one of those guys, what was the old statement was gentrified, right? Yeah. Gentrified coming out in high school, and he grew into a mountain of a man. And, you know, again, we kind of look back and those offensive lines were really, really good back in the early 2000s with the guy like Grove. And, and, and Jake's now, I think Jake's just living back in Forest and coaching at Jefferson Forest because what else is there more to do with a guy like that? And I, I'd, I'd love – he's one of those guys that I'm sure you'd love to meet yeah, you'd love to meet just as an offensive absolutely. lineman, just to talk, get, just to talk shop with him. Um, and you know, and and I think I put him at. Yeah, I, I want to say I put Jake at two. You put him at two. I think I put him at three. 
Okay, so there we go. Yeah. So, but just because he was that good, and uh, you know, you could argue, say maybe, maybe, maybe the best center in college football history. I'm sure there can be arguments about that, but when you win the Remington, you're definitely on the elite level. You put your name in the conversation, especially when you block for guys going out there and getting that many touchdowns, um, rushing the ball, (laughs) and, you know, winning those unanimous – the unanimous All-American is the big thing for me on top of the Remington is that, you know, that's two accolades side by side. When you put them together, it says a lot. Oh, 100%. And and you talk about being unanimous. And when you hear unanimous, I think what are there, four All-American polls? Four or five? There's There's a few out there. He was one one every single one. That's impressive. That's impressive. All right, all right, so, buddy. I'm gonna throw this next one to you, man. Uh, so I know this is near and dear to your heart. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm gonna let you take it away and see where we go from here. Yeah, man. Well, that 2003 year when he was opening holes, uh, he was opening holes for one uh, Kevin Jones. A next on the Hokie Mount Rushmore, Um, you know, Springfield, Pennsylvania, Cardinal O'Hara. Man, you know, in the last episode, y'all know the emotion with Kevin Jones. Me, first touchdown I ever saw in Lane Stadium was Kevin. But Kevin was the 1-1 of the 2001 Spruden class. The 1-1. Yep. Nobody higher than him. Um, he was the U.S. Army Player of the Year. We know about that game. We see it every year as we get into January, December. Um, so he was their Player of the Year. And, and dude, Kevin Jones lived up to everything he was billed as. Everything. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think it's one of those things where if people ever question, hey, you know, top guys can't go to Tech and succeed. Bullshit. Not only did he succeed, he went over the top. Um, you know, I sit here and I think about it. Brian, you mentioned that Rutgers run, and I had to go back and see it. So I did. And, man, <laughs> that run is all-encompassing of what he was as a player. He It was that short side run. It, the blocks did materialize. He stopped, went back about 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and the next thing you know, he's starting to run away from guys. And then he yep. got down there, and Rutgers thought they had him leveraged. And he made – it looked like he was going to go out. He just – I talked about it last time, that cut. He did that quick cut, left, burners, gone touchdown. And, you know, Kevin and, – and you, you hear stories about Kevin. You see Kevin. He's such a successful guy now. And he just seems like the nicest guy. And But, man, just – how he how he played, uh, Brian. Can I can I can I just ask a question? I love I love emo. I love some of those guys from the O fourteen. Dude, what if he was on O four? Yeah, oh. yeah, it's true. Oh. It's true. But I mean, you saw him in person, like I did. I, mean, I think I think in the in the future we're going to talk about the O four team in more more depth. So we'll we'll get to, well. I'm sure we'll get to that at a later time as well but yeah absolutely absolutely that would have been uh that would have been kind of the uh the icing on the cake there um yeah and career-wise you know 34 175 yards 35 tds with only one season as the primary starter and that was 03 he was backing up lee the first two years and then he split time in 2002 um 2003 the big year 1647 yards um, you know, 21 touchdown, which led the NCAA 5.9 per rush consensus All-American, um, second all-time leading rusher in tech history, third in single season, third in single game with 241. That's just an insane number. Woo! Um, first round draft pick by the Lions, and I stated before, if he doesn't get that Lynn Frank injury, um, which – Cause some other injuries. I really do believe he would have been considered one of the best running backs of that era of football. And, uh, you know, 25 and seven, man, 25 yeah. and seven. And yeah, 
love Kevin, man. Just love Kevin. And, and he is the, uh, to me, he is the best running back in Virginia Tech history. Yeah, I mean, there's so much you can say about Kevin. I mean, you know, you said it, and I, I made a point on the last last time we were talking about our first trips to Lane and the Rutgers run. And you said that, that's what I kind of really kind of everything hammered home for me was just watching, you know, Kevin Jones and Lee Suggs just completely tear up a, a field going for 350 yards rushing combined. I mean, that's that's something I didn't know that could happen in real life at that point. <laughs> so it was, it was just, it was so cool to see. And, um, you know, Kevin was always, he, he could make the big play, but he also could make the good play. And I think that that was probably one thing that was maybe underrated about him is that, you know, you knew he could hit the home run, but I mean, he was out there getting those tough yards too. Um, you didn't see it as much because Lee got a lot of those tough yards early on in, in, in the run, but you know, in 03, he was out there getting those tough yards on his own too. And I mean, he could do it. He, he was really an all-purpose back that also had, you know, that, that home run potential. Absolutely, man. All right. So let's go to the final <laughs> stone we have carved out on the Hokie Mount Rushmore. This is yours, big guy. This is mine. And it might be a little controversial, even though it was mutual between both of us to it put was. him up here. It was. It was mutual. So, um, in our in our last slot here, we're giving it to Tyrod Taylor, five star out of Hampton, number one dual threat quarterback in the country, number three overall quarterback in the country. Um, came to us, it came down to Virginia Tech in Florida, and he came to Virginia Tech. Piggybacking off what Curtis said, that's kind of him and Kevin Jones are kind of the two times we've gotten those really big time five star guys that really had no other affiliation with Virginia Tech um, other than wanting to be a part of it. Some, some of what I'm going to tell here is, is the sad story. I got to I got to tell the sad story so we can get to Nebraska and we can get to 2010. So the sad story is that, you know, we probably should have had an either 08 or um, 07, some sort of red shirt year for this guy. And we didn't, he shouldn't have played. <laughs> Um, <laughs> burned his red shirt against LSU. Why? Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ron. Yeah. Bur- yeah. Burned his, L- his red shirt against LSU. Burned it again the sophomore year against ECU because we wanted to chase 10 wins and needed more offense before we started conference play. Um, so, you know, we, we get to a situation where I think, in a lot of ways, we hamstrung his development, not only by burning those shirts, but by putting him in a timeshare once we did burn those shirts. So that gets me to Sean Glennon. <laughs> I feel like once we put him in over Sean, we should have kept him in. I know he had a couple high ankle sprains that caused Sean to get back in there. But as soon as Tyrod was ready to go, he should have went full bore and not split time. I know he had that bad game against Duke where he threw five, had five turnovers. Stick with your man. Anyway, <laughs> that gets us to 2009. The 2009, what went down significantly for Tyrod Taylor was turnovers. And you know what happened? Wins went up. And we also had, it's, it's not quite as spectacular as the miracle in Morgantown, but it was Tyrod's miracle in Morgantown, the drive against Nebraska. The Miracle in Blacksburg. Uh, yes, you, sir. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on before you go any further. Did not see that live. Was at a wedding, but my Ooh. phone Ooh. went insane sitting there at that reception table. <laughs> Man, I mean, so we get the we get the long pass up the sideline to set everything up, and then uh, Tyrod dancing in the backfield. When's he gonna throw it? Clock's ticking down. Clock's in Dominican suit. Breathing down his neck. Yes, sir. Sue is coming. Darrell Roberts. What's up, my man? Touchdown. There we go. And, and, so, and what did Bill Ross say? He did Tyrod it. Tyrod did it. And I uh, just uh, didn't see it live, but caught all the replays. But, uh, man, it, it, it just that, – that was, that was kind of the thing that started turning the tide there, and I think – and then 2010 really put all the pieces together as a full full quarterback for us. I mean, he had 2,743 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, only five picks. 
another 659 yards rushing and five touchdowns. Um, career numbers, 7,017 yards, 44 touchdowns, 2196 rushing, another 24 touchdowns. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the, the guy could do it all. He could run, he could pass. And the thing, you know, he, he came in as a dual threat, but the thing a lot of people talked about throughout his career at Virginia Tech and even in the pros is that he was a running quarterback that looked to pass first. That's good. Even when he got out of the pocket, his eyes were downfield. He was looking to make the make the right play, not just the play that was athletic. He wasn't trying to go out there and be a hero every play. And he played within the game despite his athleticism. So I think that's the thing that's underrated about him. And we've seen that even more in the NFL with him being able to protect the ball the way he does and how, how ball security is paramount for him. Speaking of the NFL, six-round draft pick by the Baltimore Ravens and projected starter for the Chargers going into next season. Absolutely. And remember, he was the guy that took Buffalo back to the playoffs. Yeah, Rod Taylor did that. And uh, Tyrod's, you know, he's a starter in the league. He's been in the league. It's tough to think. He's been in the league 10 years now. And he's he. you could tell he's – I think Tyrod's probably going to play another five or six years because he is that consummate backup who is a professional, who helps the younger guys – but who listens to the older guys like you with Philip? Like he didn't complain anything about that. You just saw him just go work and help the team out as much as I can. And you talked about something that did make Tyrod great was he was looking to pass. Now when he broke one off, like remember that run against FSU at Lane where they were just you could just tell that was like the will breaker. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But, I go to the Stanford game in the Orange Bowl. He goes down the left sideline, the scramble drill, and he could have ran and probably got 10 yards and 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 been closed it in, make it closer for the first down, but he kept looking to pass. And David Wilson broke in, out. And Tyrod like did that little spin move, and when he came back around, he fired it and it hit David right in the chest for a touchdown. Because he was one to be a quarterback. Um, and like he said, no ties came in successful, um, has all the accolades. Um, and just, I mean, Tyrod was kind of the guy that we got to see after we graduated. So we weren't always out partying the night before and sleeping all part of the game <laughs> during the day. But he was professional. And I've got a number five jersey. That, that's my jersey. I'm not one of these people that buy a ton of jerseys. Um, but when I came across that, I said, I got to have it. I love Tyrod as a player. Um, he's also one of those guys, Brian, that I'm sitting here. You're talking about the 04 season. We might have to do the whole, what if this guy comes back in 2011 with <laughs> David Wilson, Danny Cole, Jared Boykin, and a potential Logan Thomas at tight end. Hmm. We might have another episode in the bag there, man. Man, <laughs> the, uh, the, the the national champion that could have been. There's like two or three of those that we could really talk about. I mean, we lost two games that year. We lost yeah. two games. They're both to Clemson, and there was a guy that was quarterback in Clemson at that time that, if we had done it right, would have been our backup. That's another time for another day, <laughs> another story. <laughs> All right, so. Hokie Nation out there, um, as we wrap up our Hokie Mount Rushmore of Michael Vick, Jake Grove, Kevin Jones, and Tyrod Taylor, we're tweeting out, give us your Mount Rushmore of Hokie offensive players. And I want to see some names because these guys are the guys that encapsulated our generation. Now, I look back, Carol Dale, Cyrus Lawrence, um, a couple other guys, too. But these, these, this is our Hokies Mount Rushmore. So, but give us yours. Is there somebody we missed? Is there somebody that you feel is uh, more deserving? Um, Brian, while sitting here doing this on a Tuesday night, have we missed anything in the Twitter sphere? Any commitments? Any top tens? While we uh, loosen all the ends up? Nothing that's worth mentioning in the podcast, buddy. Nothing that's worth mentioning in the podcast. We'll, we'll maybe tweet some stuff out later, but I think we're good to go at this point. Awesome, bud. Awesome. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. As always, we let Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies. Hokies.